so today we are starting our Foundations series. And this series is actually one tool that we're going to be using throughout this semester and ultimately long term to help execute the mission of Northwood Church. Now, our mission here at Northwood Church is to build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. Ultimately, that's just a reflection of the Great Commission, right? To make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them to obey what Jesus commanded, right? To proclaim the good news, the gospel, into all the earth. And so this is, this is the way that we say that. And if we were to really summarize, we would just say, hey, we feel called to be disciples that make disciples, right? It's just a disciple-making community. I'll explain more of what that means in a moment. But what we know is that every person who begins their journey of discipleship needs a foundation on which they can take next steps, right? So there's something that, that we need in our lives, in our faith journey, that's going to ensure that as we take next steps, we have a firm foundation. And this series is a foundational step that works in tandem with another tool that we have called Freedom Groups and also some other things that we'll be rolling out over the next several years. We have a vision for intentional discipleship that, that we just are really excited about. And uh, so this is just one of those uh, tools that is going to work to help to help people learn how to follow Jesus. If you want to really simplify the idea of what discipleship is, it's learning how to follow Jesus. It, it's pretty simple, you know. If we were to boil it all down, that's a good way to say it. And so in this series, we'll explore the foundations of the Christian faith to help well, you and others follow Jesus. And, and so I do want to mention this. This could seem to some of you touch elementary. You're like, I've already got these foundations. I already know these things you're going to be talking about. I'm already pretty well versed in this or that. And, and while I acknowledge that and I appreciate that, I do want to just take a moment and, and mention, because I am as well. I'm, I'm pretty well versed in these foundations. I'm, I'm well read in this. I'm well studied in this. I'm fairly well lived in this. I've been, I've been doing this long enough. And, and because I've been doing this long enough, I know that even I need to be reminded about these things. Because I have ups and downs in my walk. And so for those of you that are more mature, more experienced, man, embrace this process. Yes, this is going to be a good reminder, something that's going to solidify us even that much more. But more so, remember that there's a lot of people in our communities that are newer to the faith. And there's going to continue to be more and more people that are coming in out of the world that are lost and, and being saved. And the harvest is ripe, and, and, and we're, we're believing that God's bringing people. And so there's going to be a lot of people that need these foundations. And so together as a community, we're building this tool. Isn't that incredible that you're part of building this discipleship tool at Northwood Church? I think it's awesome. And so that's what we're doing this semester. And, again, these are the conversations we're going to be having throughout the semester in our groups. So week one is what we're getting into today. And uh, it is all about discipleship. And, and we're really just dis defining discipleship. D discipleship is simply learning to follow Jesus. Now, again, the most important part of any structure is its foundation. If any of you have ever built homes, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, well, if we were to look at the church, the church's foundation is its most critical aspect as well. The church is built on a foundation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Paul, the apostle, he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, some of us have heard that language, Christ 
the cornerstone, but we don't always know where that comes from. So we've got a picture of a cornerstone here. This was actually taken from a uh, missions trip. I think it was down in Nicaragua where um, this was a, a cornerstone that was set for a, a wall, right? And, and cornerstones have been used for thousands and thousands of years to set the the trajectory for which a wall will be built. So for instance, the pyramids, the temple, etc., all of every building of, of uh, from ancient times and even into modern history would have had a cornerstone that was set and all things would be measured off of that. All things would have been, a plumb line would have been drawn off that cornerstone. And this is saying, this scripture says that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of the church. Everything that we do should be measured off of Christ. Everything that we stand on, the foundation that we stand on, is only as good as Christ is good. And isn't it wonderful that he's as good as good can be because he is the source of good? Jesus is good. And, and so our foundation is good, but we need to continue to figure out how to walk that out. And so as a church community, we're on this foundation, but not just as a community, like you're individually the church, like you're the church and you're the church and you're the church and I'm the church. And, and so like in each of our own lives as well, we've got to build our lives on Christ, the cornerstone, but on this, this foundation that the church is built on. Now, Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7, uh, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus teaches us what it looks like to live with Christ as the cornerstone of our lives. And if you were to go back to the fall of 2021, uh, we taught a series called The Beatitudes, which is actually the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Really good series. You can go refer to that. In uh, spring of 2022, we taught a series called Kingdom Manifesto, which is where we finished the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. I thought that was a really good series as well. I, I hope you enjoyed it, but it's a good reference to go back to to understand what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, this way of living. And, uh, and, and he ends the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, and, and we've actually got a verse from here, uh, and he says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, right, here's this sermon I just taught, Right? Here's these things I'm sharing. And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That is Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. Right? So Jesus is telling us that if we build our life on the foundation of Christ, that not only will we honor God with our lives, but when the rain and the winds and the floods come, when the chaos of life beats against us and, and we feel in some ways maybe a bit shaken, we will not fall. And, and that's a promise. And so I'm excited to explore what it looks like to build our lives on this foundation. And Northwood Church's mission is all about helping people learn how to live this way. In other words, to make disciples of Jesus that won't be shaken, that won't fall when life is a, is a mess. Uh, and, and so this is a great opportunity for us. So I've used this word disciple and discipleship. What is disciple? What does that mean? What is that word? Well, I do want you to know it's not just a Christian word. Uh, technically, it comes from the root word discipline, so someone who's disciplined in something, right? And, and really, just a clear definition might be that a disciple is disciplined as a follower, student, and apprentice 
of another. Now, a follower, if we were to break that down, is one who's willing to be led while cooperating in group mission. So, you know, are we willing to be led while cooperating together to accomplish a mission? A student is one who learns the philosophy and the teaching of his or her instructor. So are we students? And then an apprentice is one who puts that philosophy, that teaching, into practice. Are we practicing what we're learning, in other words, right? And so the reality of it is we are all being discipled by something or someone, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It's almost impossible to get away from it. If you think about the things that you're intaking in life, it could be music. It could be that simple. It could be your, your other forms of entertainment, movies, media, etc. Social media, man, talk about all the voices that are speaking into our hearts and our minds, that are shaping our desires, that are causing us to think a certain way about life and living. These things are, whether intentionally or unintentionally, disciplining our minds, our hearts, our desires, etc., to think a certain way. We're literally becoming followers, students, apprentices of these different worldviews. And and so we want to make sure that because we're Christians, this is a Christ-centered community. You heard me say our mission statement is to build Christ-centered communities. Because we're a Christ-centered community, our aim is to be disciples of Christ, not another. And so I'll redefine a disciple specifically in relationship to Jesus this way. A disciple of Jesus is disciplined as a follower, student, and apprentice of Jesus. And so as a follower, Jesus has a mission. We let him lead us, and we cooperate on that mission in a community together. We're students. We're learning his philosophy, his teaching. He is the teacher of our lives, Jesus. But even more so, as an apprentice, we have to take that teaching and put it into practice and learn to walk out our faith in, in fear and trembling even, but as faithful disciples to Jesus. And, and, and the disciple as you now have clearly defined, engages in this process called discipleship. And and this is a narrow path that we're called to walk on. Jesus speaks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a narrow path, but it leads to life. And so as we talk about discipleship, I want you to know, while it may come off at times like a list of do's and don'ts, like, like, man, more. I talked about this last week in my message about the Holy Spirit. More things I got to do, right? This is the path that leads to life. And so, so we want to just keep that as a lens over everything that we're doing. Now, discipleship is a lifelong process of learning how to follow Jesus. So we know it's about learning how to follow Jesus, but it's also a lifelong process. You don't just become like super disciple overnight, okay? You don't just like get saved and all of a sudden everything's figured out and, and you got this, right? It's on lock. No, this is a lifelong journey where you will inevitably miss things. You'll fall short. I fall short every single day. Like the old man is still there. The flesh is still there rising up, waging war against the spirit. Like this is the reality. But it is a journey, and we're moving towards Christ. We're moving towards glory. We're moving towards everything, the fullness of what he has for us in glory. And while we have that already, we've not yet experienced its fullness. And so we're on this lifelong journey journey. Now, Jesus calls his disciples to live their lives as followers, to live their lives as followers. And to live their lives as followers, they have to often leave their lives that they're living. 
Do you know that to follow someone, if they're taking you in a different direction than where you were going, you have to change directions. That's actually the definition of repentance, is changing direction away from the, the, the wide path that leads to destruction, changing direction towards the narrow path that leads to life. And, and so Jesus is, is calling us, and a rabbi, because that's what Jesus was seen as, a teacher, a rabbi, a rabbi's call or invitation in, in, in biblical context to learn his teachings, his way of living, was an honor for those who he invited. It was an honor. But for Jesus, he was more than just a teacher, more than just a rabbi. Jesus is literally the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords that would come and die on the cross to save, but that would then call us to follow him as Lord. And, and so Jesus calls us into invitation with God. This is much bigger than just learning how to live. This is like a change of reality. This is a big deal. And, and we can look at some of the people that Jesus invited. If you look at Andrew, so Andrew was following John the Baptist, as were many people. John the Baptist was making a way for Jesus, clearing the path for the one that would come, right? And so Andrew's a disciple of John the Baptist, and Jesus says, come follow me. Now, John the Baptist wasn't a bad person to follow. He was pointing to Jesus, Right? But Jesus said, I don't need you just following those that talk about me. I need you following me. And so you might have a pastor in your life that talks about Jesus a lot. I talk to you about Jesus all the time. I'm always talking to you about Jesus. But if you're only following me and you're not following Jesus, you're actually not following the call of God. And so there's Andrew, there's Simon, who Jesus said, follow me. And when he did, he, he said, Simon, you'll no longer be Simon. Now you'll be Cephas. He changed his name. He gave him a new name. He's now Simon Peter, Cephas or Peter, meaning rock. And later in the, in the narrative, we find out why that was so important. But what Jesus was doing was setting Peter up to be okay with the idea that he would change his identity. You're no longer going to be Peter, the, the, the hot-headed fisherman. You're going to be Peter, the rock that I'm going to build my church on. And, and so Jesus calls us out of our old identity into a new identity. And he may be calling you out of an old identity into a new identity. Jesus called Nathaniel out of his skepticism. How many of you are skeptical of Jesus at times or skeptical of the scripture at times? I have been. Am I the only one raising my hand? I haven't been lately. But there's times in my life where I've wrestled with doubt. Do you know that Jesus is calling us out of our doubt? Not saying that it's not okay to wrestle at times. Like, don't get me wrong. This is a safe place to wrestle with doubts, okay? You know, everybody's trying to figure this out. We don't have all the answers. Like, can we just acknowledge that for a second? But at the same time, he is calling us to faith. And so he calls Nathaniel out of his doubt into faith. He calls Nicodemus out of his religion. But unfortunately, Nicodemus didn't come. We don't know what Nicodemus' future held. We, we don't have all of the details in the Gospels, but we see that he didn't come when Jesus called. And some of us are in religion, and, and Jesus is calling, and he's waiting for us to just leave that religion and come. He, he called the Samaritan woman at the well out of her brokenness. He calls James and John out of the family business. He calls Matthew out of his misplaced loyalties to the, to the well, to an institution that wasn't as important as the church, as, as Christ and the kingdom. And he's calling us out of those things. 
as well. He calls us, he calls you from where you are to where he wants you to be. Not where you want to be, where he wants you to be. That's discipleship. So discipleship is a lifelong process of transformation. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we don't have this on the board, but if you go there, it says that we've become new creations, that the old is passed away, that the new is here. So it's speaking of the present. It's a matter of fact. It's like, yo, you're a new creation. And if you have placed your trust in this room, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you know Jesus, you know his salvation, you are a new creation. You're born again of the Holy Spirit. You're immediately transformed out of darkness into light, all of those wonderful things. But did you know that you're still becoming new day by day? There's this already reality in our lives, but there's also this not yet reality in our lives where we're waiting on the fullness of becoming new creatures. And that won't fully happen until we stand before Jesus. But the, the, the deal is, is that on this journey, we're needing to submit to this process of transformation. And so there's still many parts of us needing transformation in order to help us not only know God and salvation, but to grow in Christ and to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately to help others do the same. Because we want to see others come to salvation. Don't, who, don't you want to see others come to salvation? People in your life that you, you've been praying for and witnessing to and inviting. and We want to see them come to salvation. And, and, and part of the way that God uses us as, as his people is to bring us along on this journey of transformation as people see the power of God at work in our lives. It's a testimony and it's persuasive and winsome and, and people are more interested in what God's doing in our lives and maybe, just maybe, he can do that in theirs. And so the disciple first receives forgiveness and salvation from Christ and, and that's, a, that's a price that Jesus alone pays. I just want to be clear about this. That the definition of religion is you trying to pay for your own forgiveness, you trying to pay for your own righteousness. We can't do that. That, that leads to destruction. That's not the path to life. The path to life is recognizing that Jesus paid it on the cross, that his blood shed on the cross undoes the need for you to be something that you can't be in your own power anyway. He's provided a way out. He's provided forgiveness and salvation through the cross. But he does call us to surrender to his lordship and to engage this process of transformation. And while his Holy Spirit helps us, we talked about that last week, and we'll continue to refer to that. While his Holy Spirit helps us, this is where we do have a cost to pay. We've got to lean into the discipleship process. We've got to invest our energy, invest our lives, double down on it. We've, we've got to give away ourselves. We've got, to, we've got to invest in the community because that's how he brings about transformation. And so, as a disciple of Christ, we want to ask this question, what areas of my life need transformation? And, and I think, like, this is not just a message. This is personal. You should be asking yourself this even as a mature believer, what areas of my life still need transformation? Yeah, I wake up with that question on my mind all the time. God, what are you going to do with me today? Because yesterday was not pleasing to you. I, can, I know that. Last night, that conversation was not, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, repent? Okay. <laughs> oh, ask forgiveness for that? Okay. Still, still, need, still need work in this area? Okay. Hallelujah. Thank you for leading me into all truth and righteousness. But we have to ask these questions. And so what areas of my life need transformation? I'm going to take just a couple minutes to 
navigate this section, and we're going to, um, and we're going to explore these topics over the next couple months. Uh, so the first area that needs transformation is my heart. This is the core of who I am. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I love that promise. See, God gives us a new heart that knows him and honors him, that trusts him, that can receive his love. You know, so many of us walk through such brokenness in our lives where people have trampled on our hearts and it makes it hard for us to trust that there's a God that can actually love us. And here he's saying, I'm going to do this supernatural, miraculous work of transformation and give you a new heart that knows how to trust and knows how to be loved. That was my story. I didn't know how to love. I didn't know how to be loved. And I needed a new heart, and that came from God. And, and, and I'm going to tell you what, in a moment, I did desire to honor him. I did desire to love him back. But I am still on this transformative journey of learning how to live in that every day. And, and so are you. And so let's receive the new heart. But let's also continue to learn how to live out of that. And a new heart produces new responses. See, out of the heart flows every issue of life. And, and so while we're on this transformational process, we've got to yield to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to change the core of who we are over time. One, my heart needs to be transformed. Two, my thoughts need to be transformed the way I think. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's this spirit of the world, and then there's this spirit of God. And our mind is going to align with one of those or the other. And this says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, right? Don't be conformed to the world any longer, so that you can discern what God's saying is good. And, and that's a process. It happens in a moment where you start, man, I got saved and I started to get conviction automatically. My mind started to think differently about this and about that and so on. But then all of a sudden those thoughts come back and I'm still wrestling and I'm, it's just there and I've got to deal with it and, and I've got to submit and yield to the process of transformation. Now God's will is for disciples to have a biblical worldview. That does, in many senses, come through revelation. Like God will reveal to us. That's what revelation is. By the way, don't, it's not like too mystical. Revelation is simply God revealing something to us. And so it'll come through revelation, uh, but it will also come through intentional development of a worldview. I've, I've personally studied a lot of things. You remember the skepticism I was talking about earlier, the doubt? Well, a lot of that came because I was exposed to so many other you know, seemingly rational, you know, worldviews and um, Eastern religions and all these other things that seemed plausible. They were plausible arguments. God had to undo those things and, and redo another way of thinking, give me a biblical worldview, a mindset. And he does that over time. And I just want to tell you that the Bible is the clearest place in the world where the mind of God is displayed for man to learn, to emulate, and to be transformed by the Scriptures. And so we're going to emphasize the necessity of the scriptures in this process of transformation. So my thoughts need to be changed. Three, my desires need to be changed. 
my desires have to do with what I want to do, right? And, and so Titus chapter 3 says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So thankful for that. But we are reminded of where we come from. We were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, desires. And we still wrestle with those desires at times. So we've got to be reminded that discipleship is not about getting what we want. Discipleship is not you getting what you want. And that's hard for people to hear sometimes because we tend towards selfishness. I, well, I tend towards selfishness, okay? If the shoe fits, you can wear it. That's up to you. But I know I'm just going to call this kettle black, right? I'm selfish. And so, so it's not about me. It's about my wants being transformed into what God wants for me. I remember before I was saved, man, I wanted to build this, like, real estate empire, right? I was going to do it, too. I had a plan. And, man, I, you know, I didn't know it was the grace of God. Now I know it was the grace of God. But at that time, by the grace of God, I, you know, at 19, I got this house. I'm off to a good start. You know, within just a few years, investing in some other things, I'm going, I'm going. And, and all I wanted to do was build my thing. I was going to build it. I was going to be, I was going to crush it. And God had another plan. And I still, don't get me wrong, I still desire to be successful, like in the marketplace. It's okay to be successful in the marketplace. You realize that, right? But now when I think about maybe upgrading a home, which we just, you know, praise God, we're able to do moving out here. We're in a little bit more square footage. We're thankful for that. While I think about upgrading a home, maybe I even think about some other future investments because I'm just passionate about it. I love that, that. I love that. I, I played Monopoly growing up, you know. It was just one of those. This is cool, you know. <laughs> it's fun. And, uh, but the reason I want to do it is no longer to build my real estate empire. I now want to build the kingdom of God. I want a bigger dining room so I can have a bigger table, so I can have a bigger group of people sitting at the room so we can engage in discipleship. My motivations have changed. My desires have changed. I no longer want more for me. I want more for you, for others, for the glory of God. And if, if he doesn't allow for me to grow in that area of my life, I don't, let, I don't let that impact me negatively. It used to would have impacted the way I viewed my worth and my value. Now it's, oh, man, God's got a different plan. He changes the desires of our hearts, right? So I pray, God, don't change what I do. Change what I want to do. You ever, you ever ask God to change what you do? God, help me stop doing this. God, help me stop doing that thing. God, help me stop going back to that or, or whatever. The, the, the more important prayer is not change what I do. God, help me change what I want to do because what you do is an overflow of the desires of your heart. See, disciples of Jesus grow to love what he loves and value what he values and even hate what he hates. Yeah, I know that's an unpopular thing to say about God, that he would hate something. Well, you know God hates sin. God hates sin. And the disciples' affections are set on the things of God, and so the disciples' affections must supersede the attractions of sin and the things of this world. That's discipleship. 
And really, these are matters of the heart. This is all about the inner man, right? This is my heart, my thoughts, my desires. This is all inner man stuff. And, but that's going to lead to the next three quick areas that we're going to just kind of run through. And, and we're going to talk about some outer man stuff. This is the stuff that's more visible, the more easily seen, right? This is the stuff that people see in you a lot of times. <laughs> Your behavior, what I do. God wants to transform my behavior. He does want to change that. In John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' commandments were instruction and in that we were called to obey that. Right? It's not greasy grace. He's calling us to obedience. But obedience is not an attempt to earn the love of God. It's a response to the love of God. And we get that twisted sometimes. We're not trying to earn salvation, God's love, his affirmation, his worth. He affirms us in salvation as we're seen as the righteousness of God of Christ. He gives us worth simply as being image bearers. And he says, I love you. Yield to my forgiveness, to my salvation. Receive my love. Now, in response to that, obey. I know you're going to mess up. I still love you. But keep repenting. Keep turning back towards my call on your life. See, we can hide so many of the other things. If you were to look at your heart and, and your thought life and, and your desires, like we can hide that stuff. I can pretend pretty good. But it starts becoming visible when your behavior is impacted by all those things. And, and like people literally see and you even see yourself going after things that your thoughts and your heart and your desires are, are pointing you towards. And so behavior matters a lot. It really does, especially in the context of community. Because a lot of times, you know, we're like, hey, that doesn't hurt anyone else. And, and so, you know, what, what, what big a deal, how big a deal is it? It's still a really big deal because it hurts the heart of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And so we have our relationship with him. But then we have the community of people around us that he's wanting to transform the way that we relate to. And so the next thing, he transforms our relationships. It's how I relate to others. And so we're a Christ-centered community. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, encourage and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, the question is, why would Paul have to encourage the church at Thessalonica to encourage one another and build one another up? Because they probably weren't. Generally, we only get instruction when we need it, right? <laughs> and so, like, all throughout the text, all throughout, especially, man, I mean, from the beginning to the end, we see this relational chasm between not only God and man, but God and people. And through Christ, he reconciles us with God, with the Father. But through Christ, he also reconciles us with one another. But there's, like, a transformation that needs to take place in the way that we relate to one another. Our siblings, our spouses, our children, our, the church community the people we work with. And conflict is inevitable. But disciples of Christ navigate that conflict in a way that Jesus instructs us to navigate that. And he sets a model for us. He sets a template for us. And furthermore, he gives us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us navigate that. And so he wants to transform our relationships. And then six, our purpose. Jesus wants to transform what we live for. So many of us are living for this or that. And we wonder why maybe sometimes it seems like what we're doing is not blessed or maybe 
maybe what we're doing. It's not that, you know, when you follow God, like, things are hard, right? But at the same time, when you're in his will, it's not that it won't be hard, but you just sense, like, man, I think, I think God is leading me in this. I have some confidence about this. And, and so we need to be seeking the Lord about how to walk in our purpose, making sure that, well, like Romans 12 does, is we have our minds transformed, that we're able to discern the good and perfect and acceptable will of God in our lives. And, and so our purpose is seen in Ephesians 2.10, and it's pretty clear. We are his workmanship. In other translations, it says masterpieces, right? That's identity. You are a beautiful masterpiece created by the creator himself. This is incredible. But he says that you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Our purpose ultimately can be summarized by good works. And if we're doing good works in Christ for his glory and the good of others, we can rest in whatever we're doing, knowing that he's being glorified and that others are being built up or encouraged. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that we should let our light shine amongst others, that others would see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. This is our purpose. That's it right there. That's our purpose. And so all throughout this series until the end of May, we're going to aim at laying a foundation or re-solidifying a foundation in our lives that ultimately glorifies God, enables us to more effectively win the loss, and enables us to more effectively disciple the saved. And so in conclusion today, our, a transformation is required in every area of our lives. And I'm excited to explore this series, Foundations, with you. But at the end of the day, we absolutely need the grace of God and his Holy Spirit to help us. And so what I just want to do right now, um, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer over us, over our community, over this church. Let's just believe that, that God is going to help us this semester grow in grace and be more sensitive to what he's doing in our lives as individuals and as a people. So will you join me in prayer? Father, we just thank you so much. God, we thank you that your promise is yes and amen. God, we thank you that your word is good. God, we thank you that you're the same God. God, and you've been faithful to your people since the beginning of time. God, we look back at Adam and Eve in the garden even, and, and we see two people who ultimately were experiencing the fullness of the presence of God and, and were taken off course. They, they were enticed by the the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and they ate of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they were deceived to believe that there was another way, and, and, and they learned there wasn't. And it brought brokenness and separation, God, but you, in your great love and your mercy, you pursued them. They were hiding in the bushes in shame, and you came after them, and you covered their nakedness, and you showed them and promised them that there would be a way out. There would be one that would crush the great deceiver, and that there would be a, a, a savior of the world. Lord, and, and ever since then, you've been coming after us. All of us like Adam, all of us like Eve. Deceived in so many ways. Yet in your mercy, you show us what is true. And what is true is that your grace is sufficient for us, even in our weakness. Lord, throughout this semester, would you make us strong in your strength, not our own? Holy Spirit, would you show us what is your will for our lives as we seek your face in these coming weeks and months. Lord, would you, 
would you do a work of transformation in, in my life, in, in, in my family's life, in my children's lives, in the lives of the, the people that are in this room, God? Would you, would you bring transformation in those areas that you're not done with yet? And let us just yield to that. Let us surrender. And that we will worship you, even if the process is painful. God, we know that sometimes that our faith is refined through fire but you're proving the genuineness of our faith in that fire. And so if this world may burn us at times, Lord, we know that you are still doing something in us, even when we can't see it and we rejoice over it. Even when the wind and waves are all over the place and, and, and we don't know where to go and we don't know how to be, Lord, would, would we just, would you help us to rise up in faith instead of fear, in love, namely your love? God, pour your love out on us this semester and that everything that we do in response to you and, and to others, God, will be motivated by that love. We just thank you for it all now. We give you great praise. We give you great honor. We give you all the worship. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, we pray and thank you for these things. Amen.